Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you, no matter where you are on your journey towards Christ. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me? Good. I always struggle with the mic. Let me get the clicker on. All right. I have an assumption. I'm working from an assumption. Uh, my assumption is that you, would, you want to love well. Like when you, when, you wait, when you go to bed at night, like you don't lay there going, man, I really hope that I was a very difficult person to live with today and that the people around me have been degraded by my presence and the world is worse because I was here. It's like, that's not, that, you don't check those boxes. You're shaking your head like, yeah, I do. I do that, man. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> uh, I want to love well. Um, so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to address this passage. Uh, I, we get the next passage in James. It's the passage about uh, shut, your, shut your stupid judgy mouth, I think is what it reads in Greek. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit punchy, but we're going to ride that pony. Uh, we're going we're gonna to put it in its proper context, though. And one piece of its proper context is this. In chapter 2, verse 8, James says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Everything else in the letter from James orbits around that statement. This is what it means to do well. Actually, we could translate that succeed. Success is having loved our neighbors well. That's really it. You have inside you this desire to love your neighbor well, and you also have inside you these movement patterns, these mechanics that you acquired through a lifetime, however short it's been, a lifetime in a really rough world with really rough penchants for sin inside you. You have some movement patterns that get you in your own way as you seek to love your neighbor well. And a lot of what James does with the wisdom literature in in his letter is he unencumbers you from those movement patterns. So by the end of our conversation this morning, where I'm going to do probably most of the talking, I do have the mic and the laser thing. Um, But I'll ask you questions, and I'll do that awkward thing where I wait for you to answer me, right? Um, By the end of our conversation this morning, hopefully we might have a little bit of a grip on how we can participate in getting free of something that's preventing us from loving well. Uh, We're going to talk about judgment, and whenever we talk about judgment, there's a couple of kind of obstacles we have to move out of the way. One is that Having lived overseas in Central Asia and Europe for a long time and having returned, there's this, uh, there's this moral assumption in North America that judgment is bad and that we will not be judged. Uh, we will be judged, uh, but not by you. And that's why you don't get to judge, because no one cares what you think, <laughs> right? Like you're not the arbiter of moral truth. God is. But you will be judged. So I want to make sure that we get this really clear. We will be judged. We will be judged. We will be judged. We'll be judged by a compassionate, but really, really far and deep seeing God. Yeah? Who sees all the bottoms of things. So I'm going to get that clear. Another thing I want to get clear is uh, you are probably pretty judgmental. Yeah? And if you're like, well, not me. I'm not really judgmental. Probably the sermon is for someone else. That's judging. Yeah? (laughs) There it is. You found it. Yeah. If you are a Republican, you're judgmental. If you're a Democrat, you're judgmental. If you're a parent, you're judgmental. If you're a teenager, you are the crown prince or princess of judgmental. 
Yeah, and I just judged you as a parent of a teenager. I just did it. We do it. We do this thing. This is, this is the movement pattern that gets in the way of loving well. But I just wanted to take a second and circle the fact that this one's for you. Okay? All right, here we go. I'm going to tell you a story first. I'm going to tell you a story. A woman approached me recently, uh, and she said this to me. She said, I just found out that my husband has been, for the last two months, has been having lunch with his ex-girlfriend. How did you feel when I told you that story? Not good. Good? Let's zero in some more. What other emotions did you feel? Really, I have like limited time, so you say the words. Huh? Mad? Sorry? Sad? Huh? Betrayed? Yeah, 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 all the feels, all these feels, right? Now, let me ask you a question, though. When I said that he was having lunch with an ex-girlfriend, what did you see in your mind? Where you would go? Where you would go, yeah. Did you see, was it like, was it lunch for two? Was it like, was it classy? Yeah. Yeah? She's like, yeah, it was, yeah. She's like, it was classy. There was wine involved, right? Little tiny forks, only room for two to sit really close. But what, what about this? What, was it this? Yeah, right, yeah. Like were there, plastic, were there plastic booths? Did you have to get your own napkins? Right? Was there someone else's kids, like 13 of them somehow fit in the plastic booth behind him? That's a different vibe, right? And you have different feels about that vibe. They're still not good, but they're different. You're a little confused now, right? Here are the facts. We don't actually live from the facts. We live from our feelings. And our feelings never come from the facts. They come from the stories we write in our mind instantly as soon as we get a piece of information. I told you he was having lunch with his ex-girlfriend and you painted a whole story. It might have been a a multi-season show. Instantly, because our brains are narrative-making machines. And we judge one another not from what one another have done, but from the story we, we wrote about those actions and the feelings we had from the story we wrote. You see how we do that? When someone says something to you, you don't have a feeling about the thing they said. You have a feeling about why they said it. And you wrote the story about why they said it because they didn't tell you why. You wrote the story. And if we can stop writing that story, we can maybe take a step back from judgment and even from how deeply we wound one another and are wounded by one another and get some room to move so we can love. Okay? So let's ride that pony into James. Here we go. In James, the passage we're about to read is said in a wider context. Tom smashed it last week, just crushed it, did such a good job. Such a good job, unsurprisingly. Yeah, right? In the passage above the one we're going to read, in the passage below, I also see it on my, on my visual Bible in my head, right? The passage right above, and then the passage below, and then the passages previous, there are numerous opportunities to see a contrast between hubris, or arrogance, and humility between a a need to be superior or be seen as superior and a willingness not to be. And James continually points us toward humility and away from hubris because it's impossible to love from a superior position. You can't love from uphill and you can't love from a defended state. You can only love from real. 
And that's why the humility is crucial. Right above the passage we're about to read, it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and let him take care of exalting you. Right? That's the very, so then right after that, right on the heels of that statement, he'll say, and why, why are you saying the things you're saying about each other? And out of that place in your heart that thinks you're better, zeesh, right? Okay, that's the, that's the immediate context. And then the wider context. James is wisdom literature. James doesn't read like Paul. And it's not because he disagrees with Paul, it's because he's doing something different. In the other letters in your New Testament, somebody is making an argument that goes in a line, right? It opens and theological idea, practical application, theological idea, practical application. James is like somebody, somebody gave a squirrel a Red Bull and said, tell us things, right? And he just flying all over the place, right? It feels a lot like Proverbs, pithy statement, pithy statement, pithy statement, pithy statement. They do not hang together. Unless you take a big step back, big step, and look at the bigger picture, then they kind of hang together in a way that bl blows your mind and makes your mind think in a different way. The way James does it is he reaches back into the Old Testament, way back there, grabs a proverb, usually, sometimes it's something else. This week it's something else. And he drags it forward through a teaching of Jesus, something from the Sermon on the Mount almost every time, and then holds it up for us in a slightly modified form and says, this is what it means to be God's people now that Jesus has happened. Okay? So all that literature that they've been telling their children, it's all banging around in their minds because they don't have iPhones so they can remember stuff. All that stuff that just memorized that they have, he grabs one, like a needle and thread, drags it through a teaching of Jesus and says, this is what this means now that Jesus. And you go, oh, right? So he's going to do that here. Are you ready for me to stop talking about it, read it to you? Okay, here we go. James 4, 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brethren. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. If that's not immediately apparent, I'll help you. It wasn't immediately apparent to me either. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Anything pop for you? What pops? What word pops on that read? I only need three people to answer me. Don't waste my time. Huh? Who are you? Judge? Huh? Destroy? Yeah, that's a pop. That, that one pops, doesn't it? To save and to destroy. Against? Against, yeah. Okay, so here's the passage. You can already begin to feel like, okay... Something about this feels Old Testamenty. Something about it sounds like judge not that you be not judged. I can sort of already see the pattern there. And the idea that like I'm over you to judge you is back to that hubris humility stuff. So let's see. Can you click me? Ah, it clicks. This is possibly a proverb he's reaching for. I don't think so, but I, I want to be humble in front, of, in front of the exegete that I read who said this was the Proverbs he's reaching for. He says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a simple babbler. This stands in a cluster of Proverbs about bad-mouthing each other. And every one of them equates bad-mouthing with stupidity. That you're, you're not bad for doing it. You're dumb. 
Uh, because, because you have failed to understand both the impact of your actions and the fact that you don't have any place to stand to make those statements. Right? You're, you're dissociated from reality. But really what he's after is this passage. It sounds just like it. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. That sounds very much like there is only one lawgiver and one judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. Doesn't that sound familiar? Yeah? So for the first audience who has Isaiah banging around in their imagination, they would have immediately grabbed that and said, he's, he's grabbing the, this Isaiah thing, and he's dragging it into this. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Judge not that you be not judged. So he's pulling Isaiah through Matthew. But he opens with, do not speak evil against one another, brethren. Here's a continuum of evil speakery. All right? I made that up. I did it for you. I made this for you. On one end is like really vicious evil speakery. Yeah? Like cancel culture. That's my favorite. My favorite is cancel culture. It's not my favorite. I hate it with my whole soul. You did something one time. I found it on the internet. It's all that you are. And now I'm going to make sure everyone treats you only according to one choice you made one time 25 years ago. That's a really primo example of judgment. You are entirely only this one thing you said. Just that. And I'm going to tell everybody about it. Right? People on the left and the right do this, by the way. My Jesus-following friends with a blue persuasion do this, and my Jesus-following friends with a red persuasion do this. You just do it in different audiences, but you do it. And sometimes we feel like it's our moral duty to do it, to talk about our friends who have a different political, political persuasion badly in order to somehow save our country by failing to love our neighbor. Yeah, mechanics on that are suspect, friends. Yeah. Then on the far other side is ministry. It's where, like, me and you are talking, and we just, we just go ahead and say out loud the thing so-and-so did, because we're just trying to help. We're going to help them. We're trying to help. I don't know when we're going to help them, because we're having a conversation about them. They're not even there. But by doing that, by saying out loud the thing they did or the thing that happened to them or the thing we think about their situation that they did to themselves, whatever, we're creating a circle of us, the people that don't do that and that would never happen to, and them, the people that that does happen to because they did that. That in and out, up and down arrogance is bad mechanics. You sort of have made it impossible for either one of you to be very helpful to that person now. You actually, by judging, you deselected love. Made it hard to do. It's a movement pattern that makes it hard to do the thing you actually wanted to do before your mouth started moving. Before my mouth started moving. I want to tell you a story. Is there a clock that tells me how long I have? Oh, I have so much time. You will never escape me. All right, here we go. Uh, so much time. My, my buddy Jim, Jim O'Neill, he's, like the, he's, the, he's the good stuff. He mentored me when I was in seminary. He was a missions prof, and then he went on to be the president of multiple mission organizations, not all at the same time, because that'd be weird. That'd be everyone cooperating. Why would we try that? So, so he, he, uh, he and I would meet for coffee on Tuesdays. 
And I was just about to get married, and I was just about to go to Nashville to join the, the, the pastoral staff of this church in Nashville. And there was a guy there. Let's say his name is Aaron. I made that up. His name's Aaron. And he was the guy that planted the church, and he was the lead elder, and he's a solid dude. Now, Jim and I, I didn't know this, but I learned earlier that Jim knew Aaron from way, way back. They both had gone to seminary together, or roughly the same time. So I'm like, hey, Jim, I'm about to sign on the dotted line and go get paid nothing to work at this church and do things that are well above my maturity. I wonder what you think about this, right? That's not exactly what I said. I would never have thought that, but that's exactly what it was. So I'm going to go do this at this church, and I just kind of want your feedback before I go ahead and sign. You know, we've been talking about it. What do you think? And Jim sits there, no joke, I won't act it out because I don't have time for it, but he stares out the window of the drowsy poet, little, little coffee shop in Lynchburg, Virginia that I, that I loved, stares out the window for a solid two minutes, two minutes. And then he looks back at me and he says, I can say that Aaron is among the most Christward men I have ever known. End of sentence. And I'm like, Jim, you're conspicuously quiet. I kind of want your thoughts on this decision I'm about to make. And he looks out the window, another full minute, and he looks back at me and says, Aaron and my friend Glenn have some history. But I know this. Aaron has a judge, and it's not me. If you were in danger, I would tell you, but I don't have anything to say more than what I've said. Okay, thanks, Jim. It would have been really easy for him to tell the story of whatever happened. I learned the story later. Whatever happened between Glenn and Aaron, uh, but he didn't. And that's how you do it. That's how you do it. Do it like that. It takes a pause for you to let the story you're about to tell spin through your mind, and then for you to deselect that story and tell a better one. Now, there are stops on the train between vicious, cancel, idiot culture and, uh, and min ministry, right? Here are some of them, misguided slander. If you lead anything, here's what you know for sure. This is what you know for sure. If you lead anything, whoever you lead is gonna work their family of origin junk out on you. That's gonna happen. And, and when you do something wrong or don't do something wrong, they're going to come and talk to you about it privately. Nope. They're gonna go talk to everybody else. Somehow, people think that it's okay to not talk to leaders when leaders make a mistake, but instead to talk about them. That's wrong and evil and the work of the devil. When someone harms you or offends you or screws something up somehow accidentally, you should talk to them. But on the continuum of evil speakery, somehow slandering leaders has become good practice. I don't know why that is. Go talk to them. And if they don't listen to you, there's a passage. It's called Matthew 18. Try it. Like, try it. It works great, and when it doesn't, it's not your fault. All right, and then in the middle, there's foolish sharing. That's just where we talk, where we just blah, blah, blah about things we've heard. We don't mean to. We don't mean any harm by it, but we don't mean any help by it either. And just blah, 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 things that somebody did or things that happened to somebody, or did you hear? Or, well, yeah, well, you know this happened, and so they did this. That just jumps out of our mouths. Shut up, right? Like, stop talking. Up the hill from that, though, is, is what my buddy Neil pointed out. Are we still together, or did I lose you along the way? It's okay if I, if you, if I did, like, wave your hands and be like, I don't know where. Okay, all right. So, Neil, I was working in, in uh, Central Asia in a country that's easy to get kicked out of. So easy, so easy to get kicked out of, of this country. 
it's almost like a sport. Like getting kicked out is almost like a sport. So we're, we're trying to do Jesus stuff on the low low. And uh, somebody, somebody somehow was in the background of a photo of a local who got baptized in the sea. And then that guy and his family all got kicked out. And Neil noted at a gathering of a bunch of workers what all of us were doing. We were all talking about how that person made a mistake in getting in that photo and why that person had been a little bit loose with their security practices and how that person could have made some different choices in order to avoid that thing. And he's like, why are, why are we doing this? And we were like, well, you know, we're trying to follow good security practices. I think, here's what I think we're doing. I think that we, f- we need to throw them under the bus so we feel like we're in control of whether or not we got kicked out. That we need to paint, we need to tell a story where this is their fault so that possibly we're in a position where we could control it not happening to us. Have you ever done that? You ever seen something terrible happen to somebody and then you need to explain, you needed to explain how it happened and what they could have done to have avoided that? That's not, that's not, you're doing that because you want to not be in the same category as them. You want to not be in the category of people to whom this could happen. People to whom, the category of people, people whose children go off the rails. Or people whose marriages fall apart. You just want to not be in that category, so you make sure it's the other person's fault when it happens. I'm not saying you, you, I mean, I do that. Neil was pointing out that I do it. We do it. We do this thing. All these things have exactly the same thing underneath them. We want to be up and in. We want to be on the inside. C.S. Lewis has this long essay about this. We want to be on the inner circle, and we want to be up. We don't want to be down. So we will push someone down and out to make sure we get positioned where we want to be, and we are not even conscious that we're doing it most of the time. Most of your sins don't come out of a conscious choice. They come out of some reflex in your belly, right? Right? And if, if the work that you do on your formation is all up here, you're never going to get any formation done. Because the stuff that you do comes out of down here. You've got to go in the basement. My job is to work with leaders in their basement, because out of their basement comes their use of power. And your speech is a use of power. All right, let's go back to the passage. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. So here's that Isaiah reach. The Lord is our judge, just like the passage before. Here it is. There is only one lawgiver and one judge. The Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. You notice how king isn't mentioned in the James passage? Let's go back. There was only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. He's our judge, he's our lawgiver, he's our king, he will save. When James does that, when James pulls something from the old into the new and leaves a word out, that's like circling it. He's drawing your attention to the word you're expecting to hear but didn't hear. He's pointing out that the lawgiver is the king and you're, you're not. I'm not. I'm not. I, I find myself appalled. Appalled, having returned to North America, at how the church 
will abandon her unity in Jesus in order to vilify people who are trying to solve the same problems a different way around, around political conversations. And then I notice that I'm just, and the way we do it is we, we assume that their motives are bad. We assume their motives are bad, whoever they are. And then I notice that I'm appalled that I'm doing exactly the same thing to my wife or my kid. That I'm assuming that I know their motives when they say that thing or do that thing. I'm assuming that I know the whole story, but I don't know the whole story. They have a judge, and it isn't me. It is not your job to form your spouse. It is your job to, it is your job to let Jesus form you in the context of your marriage. You were never intended. Your, your thoughts are not necessary to Jesus as he figures out how to form your spouse. Your opinions on that matter are not, are not useful. My opinions on that matter are not useful. Our job is to make a nest for the other so they have a safe place for Jesus to work on them. It's not our job to work on them. They have a king and a judge. Here's the org chart according to Isaiah 33, 22. There's God who gave the law both to measure and shape. Right? So like the, it measures are we on track, but also it like, it's the blueprint for human life too. Okay? It's both blueprint and measure. And then down below, exactly co-equal, are you and your neighbor. Now this is what James means when he says, when you judge your neighbor, you're judging the law. There's only one chair for a person above your neighbor. The law isn't a person, so it doesn't have a chair. There's only one chair on the org chart north of your neighbor. Whose is that? God. So when I choose to judge my neighbor, I am taking a seat above the law, where I judge the law, and I'm taking a seat above my neighbor, where I judge my neighbor. And whose seat am I in? Yeah, here's the, fu here's the fundamental problem. Here's where the hubris goes wildly awry. When I decide that I am the arbiter of moral truth, when I decide that I am source and measure of your motives, I assume a position that belongs only to the king. And the fact that he leaves the word king out suggests to me that James is, James is, James is matching judgment to insurrection. When I claim a right that belongs only to the king, I'm doing exactly the same thing that Nahash did, the serpent, the dragon, the Satan. I'm, I'm once again reenacting the rebellion. It's kind of a big, big deal. It's not just being a moral punk. It's, it's a, you're in the wrong chair, man. You're in the wrong chair. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. But what's your role? Your role is to do the law. And what's the law? Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. That's the law. The one thing you can't do from the judge's seat is love your neighbor. We have one judge. There is one judge. One, not you. Not you. Not me. Not you. One. One judge. Am I getting that through? Good. I'm, I'm, I'm not actually stuck. I, I'm trying to underline the thing that probably I keep forgetting, you know? 
Only one. One gets to prescribe morality, one gets to measure it. And one will. Paul says this. This occurs other places in the New Testament. I'm not going to read all of them. Oh, I'm going to read a few of them because I have so much time. I really do. It says I have 365 minutes. It's fantastic. All right. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? All right. In James, it is, who are you to judge your neighbor? So James is circling the relationship, the co-equal relationship you have with your neighbor. We're going to come back to that word neighbor in a minute. But here, Paul is circling the relationship between your neighbor and her master. Again, pointing out that when you judge, you are assuming a role that only belongs to that person's master. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Why do you pass judgment on the servant of another? But with me, this is 1 Corinthians 4, 3-5, with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. This is something that needs a pause. It's one thing for me to tell you that you don't know your spouse's motives. You don't know your son's motives. You don't know your political rival's motives. You don't know the guy next to you at work's motives. You don't know their motives. It's another thing for me to tell you you don't know your own. You don't know your own motives. You don't know why you said that. You don't. You know part of why you said that. But you are deep and vast and wide on the inside. You are bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. There are lots of rooms in there with lots of creepy crawly things, all kinds of weird trap doors and funky machines that pull things and tension things and cause you to act in ways that you do not know why. This is why Paul says in Romans 7, I don't do the thing I want to do, and I do the thing I don't want to do, and I am not sure why. You don't know what's going on in here, so you sure don't know what's going on in there. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted, because who knows what I'm not seeing? It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Not only are you the wrong person to judge, it's not time. Game's not over. Whistle's not blown. Somebody else's job on a different day. Before the Lord comes, we will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and we will disclose the purposes of the heart. There are a million reasons why on the inside that you cannot see. You cannot see them. And you don't have to. If your job is to judge, you have to see all the reasons. If your job is to love, you have to see the other person. You don't have to see the bottom of the well. You just have to look them in the eyes. That's something that mortals can do. That you, made of dust and small, can do. That me, blind as a bat, can do. I can do that. I want to tell you, I just caught someone yawning, and they saw me see them, and they tried to turn it into a smile, and it delighted me. I loved it. <laughs> Whoever that is, who I will not point out, thank you for that. That was delightful. Made my morning. I don't care what happens at second service. That's the win right there. All right. All right. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. 
There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your... Does it say brother? Neighbor. He opens with brother and ends with neighbor. That's interesting. Where else do you hear the word neighbor a lot? Where else that a, Jew would, that a Jewish audience would remember? Where do you hear the word neighbor a lot? I'll give you a hint. It starts with la, ends in awe. Law! Nailed it! Yeah, the law. You don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't do all kinds of bad juju to your neighbor, your neighbor, your neighbor, your neighbor. The law is designed to situate you in a community where you're responsible for and to, but not judge of, your neighbor. And then Jesus says, resituating you in that same community, love your God and love your neighbor. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Your job is to love your neighbor, and you cannot do them at the same time. You must deselect one to get the other. You must deselect one to get the other. I want to tell you that of all the terrible sins in the whole wide world, judging people is not the one that comes easiest to me. And it's probably because all the other sins come so easy to me. I've never met a sin I didn't like. So it's really easy for me to understand when someone says, oh, I just did this terrible thing. I totally see how I could get there, man. I, I mean, it's a short distance between me and that awful thing you did. I see it, right? I see it. We're neighbors. I'm not better than you. So here's a parenthetical. Parenthetical means in parenthesis. For those of you who are not nerds like me. What about this? By, your, by their fruits you will know them. I'm not telling you, I'm not trying to tell you that we should not measure behavior. Behavior does tell us something, and it also is important to say that thing that you did, no matter why you did it, was a sin. I didn't mean to punch my brother in the teeth. Well, I mean, you didn't fall down like this, like it was a Superman punch. I saw it. It was awesome. Nobody trips in this position. Like, nobody does that, right? I didn't mean to. Whatever you meant, we're still going to the hospital now, right? Like, he's hurt. Bonehead, like, your action matters, matters. But assessing behavior is one thing, and assigning motive is another. When they did that to that person, there was a lot going on that you can see and a lot going on that you don't know about, and so you don't get to say that this person is more important or better than this person. They are both the image of God. Assessing behavior and assigning value. These are two different things. One is your job, the other is above your pay grade. People are scrambling to write. So I'm gonna wait until I think you're almost done and then I'm gonna click it, because that's hilarious. All right, I'll just go back, sorry. I have time so I can, I can mess with you. All right. Are you done writing? Yeah, okay. All right. So some people have really powerful discernment gifts. Like, they look at you and you know that they're seeing down into the basement. Right? Or you, you, have, you have these powerful discernment gifts. Like, you're always right about things. Like, you, all, you see the problem coming before it happens. People have told you you have a discernment gift. Judgment, judgment is the easiest sin for people with a strong gift of discernment. Judgmentalism is the easiest for us. The easiest. Because we see so clearly. We see really, really clearly. We see really, really clearly a tiny, tiny piece. 
What kind of pie is that? Cherry, maybe? It's a little bit granular. It might be blackberry. Yeah? And if I were to look at this, I would say, that is a slice of a blackberry pie. But in fact, it's a quarter of an image I downloaded off of Unsplash. And the whole is not continuous with the part. Just because you can see a part of someone or a part of a situation clearly doesn't make you right about the whole thing. And if you're humble, you will remember that you only see a little bit and only for a moment. And that'll make it easier for you not to judge the rest of the pie. That's what I'm trying to get to here. I'm not trying to tell you, you're a judgmental blabbermouth. You're a judgmental blabbermouth. That's the way it, that's the, it can be the way it sounds. I, I loved how Tom pointed out, like, this kind of hits hard. Like, James is like, he's like a chiropractor with stone hands. You know, like, it's like, it's a heavy, it's a really, it's a, it hits you. But he's not trying to punch you in your teeth. He's trying to use vivid language to get you to think on multiple levels at the same time to get you to ask, why do I say those things that I don't mean to say? Well, it's because I think those things about the person that I don't remember thinking. And I know I think them. Why do I think them? I don't actually think I'm better, but kind of I do. Why do I do that? Why am I... Do I do that because I actually think I'm morally superior or am I afraid to be in the same category as them or am I just really hoping to be in a different category? What's going on under here that makes this happen? And remember what Jesus said? It's what's going on in here that makes this happen. So if we're going to remediate, if we're going to do some work on this so that we can love better, we've got to do a couple of things. We've got to do some work on the story we tell on the inside, and we've got to do some work on the story we tell on the outside. Both require humility. Can we do that for just a moment? This says I have 8 minutes and 27 seconds left. I bet we can do it in 5. Yeah? You keep looking interested, I'll keep talking fast. All right? That's the deal. What if I told you, let me tell you one more, one more layer on this story. Remember the guy who's having lunch with his ex-girlfriend, his previous girlfriend, a couple times a month? What if I told you that his department, they work in the same building, and his department and her department were put on a task force to complete a marketing something. I don't know what the noun is for marketing. A marketing something. And that twice a month, they have to get together, and the company buys them pizza so they can work through lunch. He's having lunch with his ex-girlfriend twice a month. Is it a different story now, though? Yeah? But now, do you see what just happened to you inside? Now you're wondering what's up with that woman that told the story. Right? What's her deal? We just keep doing it. We keep trying to write the story to make sense of the empty spaces. Just notice that. Notice that you will always try to write a story to make sense of the empty spaces. And do this. Number one, it's possible to create a gap between assessing fruit and judging root. And that's what Jim was doing when he stared out the window. It doesn't always take two minutes of what kind of looked like a stroke. It doesn't always take that. You can actually like just throw a quick pause and go, I don't know the whole story. Just inside your own, you can say it out loud too if you're weirdo like me, you can just say it out loud. But you can just step back and go, I don't know the whole story. That doesn't mean I'm out, it doesn't mean I've disengaged, it doesn't mean that someone isn't doing something that they shouldn't do, it doesn't mean they are doing something they shouldn't do, it just means that I'm going to slow down my story writer. Right? 
notice the story, especially where you filled in the gaps, and just doubt the story. Just create a little bit of doubt about the story you wrote in your head just now about that person or about that situation. This is, and honestly, like, in, I know that I may never get asked to speak again because I'm doing, I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel about politics. What I feel like is we, we actually are in a kingdom that belongs to a king that is bigger than this country. I've been there a handful of times. Doesn't mean this country's not important, it just means that you have a loyalty above the other. Whatever, if you're blue or red or independent, ensure that the blue and reds are wrong. There's actually a loyalty above all those that needs to describe how you treat those people who are also belonging to Jesus and have very different opinions than you. In order to do that, you have to accept the possibility that they haven't arrived at their conclusions in spite of the fact they follow Jesus. They might have arrived at their conclusions because they follow Jesus. And their come from is so different than your come from that where they are right now is different from where you are right now. But it's not because they don't follow Jesus. It's because they started in a different place than you. You gotta, gotta accept the possibility, right? Okay. Notice a story, especially where you fill in the gaps and doubt it, and then write a more generous story. Write a better story. Just, you're going to fill in the gaps, you're gonna be wrong. So be wrong kindly. Love believes all things. Be wrong kindly. A friend of mine tells me, Virgil, you have, your spiritual gift is naivety. I'm like, how's that? He says, well, you believe the best in everybody. And let me tell you, I do. I actually do. It is my superpower. Nine out of ten times, one out of ten times, they stab me in my back. And nine out of ten times, they perform admirably and do things nobody ever believed they could. If I got to take a handful of knives in my back for people to become superheroes, I'll do it. But if I, at the end of my life, I've been stabbed and have given rise to an army of heroes, that's way better than I got through life and managed to not get stabbed once and still died. You're going to die. You're not going to survive this. People are going to hurt you. Are you going to love them while they hurt you? Or are you going to cover up and turtle like a coward? Which one? Write a more generous story. It isn't naive. It isn't naive. It's strong. So, if you must speak, try positive gossip. I have so much time. Uh, and I'm almost done. Here's, the posit here's, here's positive gossip. I saw a guy do this one time. I was working at Meyer. I had just started following Jesus. Uh, it was like, what, 562 years ago. I just started following Jesus. I'm working at Meyer. I'm like young. I've got a ponytail. It's not a cool one like Jared. It's like a crappy one. It's ugly. I got this ponytail. I'm trying for a beard. I was way too early, right? And, and I got my red Meyer shirt and my cargo shorts, and I'm barely working like you do at Meyer. <laughs> it's true. I mean, that's how I did it. And, uh, and people would get up and leave the break room and just leave their stuff all over the table. And, uh, but then if I were to walk by the break room later, like five minutes later, all the stuff's gone. And it, it caught my attention as things catch my attention. And so I just kind of hid, hid behind a pallet outside the break room and I watched. And uh, Mike left the break room like everybody else, went to the bathroom, came back to the break room, cleaned up all the cups, threw them away. Never said anything to anybody. Never said, you bunch of slobs, why don't you clean up after yourself? You just clean up all the cups and threw them away. That's not the cool part of the story. The cool part of the story is Glenn also saw it. So Glenn began to walk around going, did you hear about Mike? Did you hear about what Mike did? Every single day, Mike's been cleaning up the cups in the break room, not saying anything to anybody. How about that? Walked off, 
right? Said it to somebody else, said it to somebody else. Do you know what started happening? People started cleaning up the break room. They started cleaning up the bathroom. They started cleaning up the area where people just leave stuff that you're not supposed to leave. People started doing the thing that Mike did because someone saw it and called it. Positive gossip has exactly the same potential as negative gossip. It just requires a generous story writer to be the person who tells the story with their mouth. Tell, it, tell a generous story. Catch people doing the good thing and say it out loud. Praise goodness. Okay, so here's a flash review down to two minutes. Flash review, and then I'm going to give you uh, a couple of short exercises. Flash review. James's wisdom literature. As such, he's trying to get us to see the world differently. This particular lens he's choosing is he's grabbing pieces from the Old Testament because it's a Jewish audience he's originally writing to, and he's pulling them through teachings of Jesus and then saying, look, this is what it means to be God's people now that Jesus happened. In particular, the thing that, the thing that really happened is Jesus lived the commandment to love your God and love your neighbor and made it possible for us to. So the assumption is you want to do that. You want to love your God and love your neighbor, like Jesus said, but you have movement patterns inside you that prevent you from being able to do that well. So everything James says then interrupts those movement patterns and kind of chiropractors you into alignment with what Jesus is saying. This thing that he's saying is this. You have a propensity to tell a bad story in your heart, and it's because you forget that you're just dust too. You are not your neighbor's judge. You're your neighbor's neighbor. Your job is to love your neighbor not to judge them. They have a judge. Judgment will happen. It will not, no one will ask you a single question about your neighbor when they are judged. No one will care what you think. They don't care what you think now. They care whether you love your neighbor. If you wish to love your neighbor well, here are a couple of tools. Slow down. Notice the story you write about them. Write a better story in your heart. Tell a better story with your mouth. Watch the ripples happen. See what great, a beautiful, holy fire such a small thing can start. It doesn't have to be terrible. All right, two questions for you. I want you to ask Jesus. One minute for each. The band will be coming up as, as you do this. Try to, try to ignore them and try to ask Jesus the first question and the second question. Maybe give yourself 45 seconds for each or so. Take one minute or 45 seconds. Ask Jesus where, if at all, you're writing a story in your heart about someone or telling some stories that are unkind, right? Ask Jesus where you are telling the wrong story. And then ask Jesus how you could tell a more generous story in your heart and with your speech. It's important that you ask the first one first and give it time before you ask the second one second and give it time. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.